Good morning. It is a delight to get to be with you, and I am so excited about our message today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be looking at Christ's interaction with a lawyer in Luke 10, 25 through 37. In verse 25, it says, And a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a parable. And when Jesus replied with a parable, he was always speaking a spiritual truth that we need to hear. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? We know that he answered to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We know from previous studies that God's greatest command is for our greatest good because it is only when we surrender to truly loving him with all of our being that he grants us further revelation into who he is and to truths of his word and how to live life in the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. So we, we want to really focus on the Lord. And we want to make sure that our hearts are undivided to be able to say, as Paul did in Colossians 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, we will be revealed with him in glory. I want to ask you this morning, and this is not to guilt you, but for honest reflection, can you say, Christ is my life? Or what about what Paul wrote to the Philippians when he said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, if we just took that sentence and said, for me to live is, and put a blank there, what would you fill in that blank with? What do you think about most? Where do you spend most of your time, your money, your energy? That's what fills that blank. Can you say, for me to live is Christ? and to die is gain. C.S. Lewis said, God is saying, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. <laughs> no half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. 
Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams to turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me and I will make of you a new self in my image. Give me yourself and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will should become your will. My heart shall become your heart. So if we're going to love our neighbor, it begins with loving the Lord. We have to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all of our being. And when we do, it's just as C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, then God's will becomes our will. And he gives us his heart. So what is that second command? To love the Lord as you love yourself. Well, let's turn to James chapter 1, because we've got to know what it means to love ourselves before we're able to love our neighbor. Let's look at James 1, verses 22 through 27. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So what is he saying? He's saying if you want to really know yourself, if you want to see yourself as God sees you, you must look intently into the perfect law of liberty, into the word of God. You must open the word of God and look intently into it. Don't be like the person who looks quickly in the mirror and then leaves forgetting what they've seen. Instead, look closely so that you see everything there is to see. As I've gotten older, I've had to get a magnifying mirror to put in my contacts and then sometimes to put on my makeup when I don't have my contacts in. And it is amazing what I see when I look in that magnifying mirror that I don't see when I just look in a regular mirror. Why? Because I'm looking more intently and what I'm seeing has been magnified so that I'm actually seeing clearly. That's what it talks about when we look into the word of God. We are to look intently into the word of God and God begins to magnify. But why does he show us who we really are? So that the things that are obscuring his reflection from flowing forth us, from forth from us can be removed. So those things that are clouding our understanding, that are shrouding the light of God, the sin that is entangling us, he's going to expose wrong motives, attitudes, unforgiveness, bitterness, coveting, jealousy, whatever it may be, God's going to uncover that. But he also begins to show us who it is he's created us to be for his glory, his purpose and plan for our life. And I just want to encourage you to surrender. Ann Voskamp's book, The Broken Way, really just walked right along with this study as I was reading it and preparing for this message. And in her book, she says, your time is limited. So don't limit your life by wanting someone else's. And that is so easy to do when we're scrolling through people's Instagram-worthy posts that have been filtered and you only get the highlight reel of their life because they're wanting to project the best. And I, we all do. But if we're honest, we know that's not really our life. So don't long for someone else's and miss the life God has given you. You know, it really is time to accept yourself as God has created you for his purpose 
purpose. I want to encourage you to start being grateful and celebrating the life God has given you and actually asking him to order your steps so that you can fulfill his plan. You know, if I could right now, I would literally reach out through that screen and look you eyeball to eyeball right in your eyes and I would cup your face and tell you that you are precious, created in the very image of God. God loves you with an everlasting love, so much so that he gave his only son to die in your place so that you could have a right relationship with him. He delights in you, he sings over you. Every promise of Christ is yes for you. Every spiritual blessing has been granted to you in Christ Jesus. You are most blessed because you are in Christ. Can you accept that? Can you accept the you he's created you to be and the plan and the purpose that he has for your life? And it doesn't mean that we don't have work to do. It doesn't mean that I just go, oh, okay, this is how he's created me, this is how I am. Oh no, beginning to see truly is when he begins to open our eyes to things that need to be dealt with. When we look intently into the perfect law of God, we begin to see ourselves as we really are. And God reveals those things that are darkening his image in us and preventing us from experiencing all that Christ died to purchase for us. And our flesh will put up a fight. And sometimes it's a tough one. I don't know about you, but sometimes my flesh screams. It is as though it's my feelings, my emotions, my flesh is on the front row of my life. And it's difficult for me to get beyond it to see what actually is on the other side. But we can as we choose to trust the Lord and refuse errant feelings that would get us off track and off the purpose and the plan that God has for us. We need to give up old ways of thinking, protecting, comparing, judging, and in the place of those old ways, begin to think thoughts of thanksgiving and giving and celebrating. Just listen to the sound, the difference in the sound of the words. Who would want the ways of the flesh over the ways of the spirit? And yet we do just that. When we choose to coddle our flesh instead of crucifying it, we have been called to live the crucified life. Death to the flesh that we might come alive to the spirit. Sounds just like the descriptions of wisdom and folly in the book of Proverbs. Who in their right mind chooses the path that leads to death? We do. Sinners who choose out of their own logic and reasoning instead of choosing according to the word of God. Even believers who've not had their spiritual eyes and ears opened to all that God has prepared for those who love him. You know what? I can't love my neighbor until I learn to love myself. Until I learn to accept who it is God's created me to be and seek in his word to find his purpose and plan for my life. And as I step out in faith to obey him and to live a life that glorifies him, a life that reflects the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ, then I will be able to, I'll be able to notice my neighbor because as long as I'm looking at myself, as long as my eyes are on me, I'm not even going to notice my neighbor. And yet I'm commanded, the second greatest command is to love my neighbor as I love myself. So ask yourself, what kind of things do you do for yourself? Those are the very things we're to be doing for our neighbor. Listen to this study that was actually also in Ann Voskamp's book. Did you know that those who perform five acts of giving over six weeks are happier than those who don't? That when you give, you get reduced stress hormone levels, lowered blood pressure, 
and increased endorphins, and that acts of kindness reduce anxiety and actually strengthen your immune system. Five random acts of kindness in a week can increase happiness for up to three months. So it sounds like God's word is onto something, doesn't it? That we will be blessed if we give. We know that. We know that based on God's word. But somehow we forget it. Somehow we have this spirit amnesia when it comes to what we're actually doing. What did James say? Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. That's proof that we actually believe it. So then we ask, just like the lawyer, so who is my neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone God puts in our path that we are to minister to. And as we looked at the parable, what happened? The two religious people, the people that you would think would have compassion, did not. They did not stop for the injured person on the side of the road. But the Samaritan, and Jesus told this parable specifically to put this Samaritan, the one the Jews would have looked down on, in a good light. The Samaritan looked at the person, and what did he do? He felt compassion. So what did he do for the man? He did for the man what he would have done for himself. He bandaged up his wounds. He put him on his donkey. He took him into the inn. He paid for him to stay there while he recovered and told the innkeeper, if you spend more than this, when I come back through, I will take care of it. I will pay for this. He looked and he felt compassion. If you're not looking, you're not going to feel. If we're looking at ourselves and not noticing our neighbor, we're not going to feel compassion. But if we are satisfied in Christ, if he has met our needs for love and significance, then we're able to look out. And as we look out, we will then begin to see as he sees. He gives us his eyes and he gives us his heart. And we will begin to feel compassion. Do a study. Just look up how many times compassion is mentioned in scripture. I've just given you a few examples. God the Father is compassionate. Psalm 103 says, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Jesus, we know, felt compassion. Seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And it goes on to say, and when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. And then in chapter 15 of Matthew, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. He felt compassion. He took care of their needs. Then in Matthew 20, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, the eyes of the blind, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. What do we know about God the Father? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. What does it tell us? For God so loved that he what? Gave. And he gave us his only son. He gave us Jesus. Jesus willingly came for us so that we could experience kingdom life, a life of abundance now and eternal life in his presence forever. So I want to encourage you, if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to be the gift. You are the gift. You are the gift to your neighbor. You are the gift to your family. Why? Because you have the indwelling presence of the living God through his spirit living within you. He literally will release rivers of living water from our innermost being, and we will be able to bless those that we cross paths with as we meet their needs, as we do things for them that we would do 
for ourselves. Be the gift. In 2 Corinthians, says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed what is he telling us here that when we give ourselves away we will have an abundance for every good deed did you hear those words he is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed do I believe that because if I do I'm going to live given I'm going to be the gift and I'm going to live given because that's exactly how Jesus lived. Charles Spurgeon said, it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. How does this happen? Because he is the God of abundance and he came to be the gift. He lived given. And if I will also choose to live given, God will continue to flow through me and he will allow me to be a channel through which his blessings flow. That's why if I stop the flow by hoarding or protecting or caring only about myself, I am not going to experience the abundance Christ died to give me. The abundance that I have and that rightfully belongs to me and belongs to you because we're in Christ Jesus. So when I let go and I give, I'm unblocking, I'm opening up that flow of the Spirit. I'm not quenching or grieving. I'm allowing my sin to be exposed, confessed and dealt with so that he can flow through me as I give, as he prompts me, as I meet, as I meet needs, as I minister and bless my neighbor, God flows through me and you literally cannot outgive him. In fact, one of the things that Ann Voskamp talks about in her book, The Broken Way, is a birthday celebration. It sounds like it must have been kind of a, a specific birthday. I don't know if it was her 40th or what it was, but she wanted her family to spend the day with her going about their, their, their city blessing others. So they cut a bunch of flowers, gladiolas, put them in mason jars, and on the way into town, they stopped at the nursing home, and they went from door to door blessing the people and passing out flowers. Then they went into town, and they dropped off a box of cookies on the hood of the police cruiser. They went into a coffee shop, and as they got up there to place their order, they turned around and said, and we want to pay for everybody's order in the line. And the people were like, what? Yes, we do. Have a wonderful day. The Lord bless you. They left there and took donuts to a doctor's office and then they took tennis balls to a tennis court. Then they stopped at a grocery store and they put all the carts back and they went in and purchased groceries and dropped them off at a food bank. They did things all day long to be a blessing to others. Is that not precious? She, her husband, he took a day off work, all of her children going around the town being a blessing, being the gift. And at the end of the day, she said she felt such joy. And it was a reminder to all of us. And this is what she said in her book. All of us should live every day as though we're terminal because we are. But we should also live every day as though we're eternal because we are. We are. Live every day given. I want to ask you something. Is it possible that we could overcome the darkness of a pandemic and fear, and hoarding, and even death by giving. 
by giving our lives away, letting his light shine before men in such a way that they will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven? Could it be that the basket is the scarcity mindset. What basket am I talking about? The basket in the, in the verse that when Jesus was talking about us being the light of the world, he said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. That doesn't even make sense. Why would you light a lamp or light a candle and then put a basket over it to cover the light? No, you wouldn't do that. But you put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. What did Jesus say to us? You are the light of the world. God has been really speaking to me recently about light. As Steve's been preaching through the series on Revelation, one of the things that struck me at the very beginning of the Great Tribulation is that it's marked by darkness. The absence of the presence of God and darkness as God's wrath is poured out upon the world, it's marked by darkness which immediately made me think about Christ on the cross. From noon to three, the world was dark. Why? Because the sin of the world, my sin, your sin, was put upon his body and the light of the world was covered, cloaked, shrouded by our sin until he had paid for it and was able to cry out, it is finished. And he promised us that he would give us his spirit and Jesus said to his followers, you are the light of the world. We are the light because he is the light and he has come to dwell within us if you're a believer. The spirit of God dwells within you and we are to be gleaming. When you think about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, the, the three disciples who were there with him, Peter, James, and John, were able to see him. Their eyes were open to the glory that is his. We should be reflecting that glory in a dark, broken, hurting world, as we choose to live given. You know, you don't have to be a wealthy person to be generous. Generous with your time, your talents, your creativity, material goods, the written word, a kind and encouraging word to someone, a phone call. We do not live from a scarcity mindset. We live from abundance. That's what Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 10. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. We are to be experiencing the abundant life right now that we will also experience in its fullness when we're in his presence. You know, in Matthew 25, when Jesus was talking about ministering to the least of these, and the people said, you know, when did we see you naked and clothe you, hungry and feed you, in prison and visit you, sick and come to you? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So, you know, ultimately, loving our neighbor is doing what? The greatest command, what Jesus said. It's loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you're actually doing it to me. So when I love my family members, when I love my neighbor, when I meet a need for someone, I'm actually doing it. To Christ. I'm actually loving him. In Isaiah 58 in the Old Testament, the Lord said the same thing then that Jesus gave us in Matthew 25. In fact, I love the message translation. God said, what I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering, ill-clad, being available to your own families, 
now listen to this, do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. Jesus said in John 7, he who believes in me, the scripture said from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You cannot outgive God. In fact, I have a current example. One of my sweet 10th grade life group girls a few weeks ago was praying about how to love her neighbor. And she contacted me and said, I would really love to do something for the healthcare workers in the city. What do you think our class could do? So she and I talked about it. We talked to the missions department, uh, figured out a way that we could come up and get about 10 of them spread out across the room to be able to assemble some of these blessing bags. And we said, okay, you know, this, we're just one life group and maybe a few of her friends. What do you think is a realistic goal that we could come up with? And we thought, okay, what about 150? We thought that was a pretty lofty goal. And so we said 150. And so the girls gave gift cards and food items and we put tracks in there and everybody got a handwritten note of encouragement, letting them know that we were grateful for their service and also that they are being prayed for. And so we came up here one day, we assembled all those, we were so excited about it. Well, the hospital response was so positive. They were so blessed by it that our missions department began to think, okay, due to the quarantine, we can't literally go out into the city and do the things that we've been doing. So what about if we do a blessing bag, one of these little gift bags for all the healthcare workers in the city of Memphis. Well, guess what? The number of healthcare workers in the city of Memphis is close to 15,000. So my precious life group member, Emily, felt led by the Lord to bless healthcare workers. And it's like she brought her lunch of loaves and fishes to Jesus. And Jesus has blessed it and broken it. And guess what? It has been multiplied, 150 to now 15,000 that are actually being assembled this week. That's a 9,900% increase, almost a 10,000% increase when God blesses and breaks and distributes. When we choose to give, you cannot outgive God. What about personally? Can you use Anne's example? Can you find other ways? A few weeks ago, we talked about our, our Bellevue women have started an Instagram account and it's hashtag John 15, 12 project. John 15, 12 is where the Lord said, I'm giving you a new command that you love one another. So we've hashtagged it, love one another as well. And we're asking people to put on their ways that they are creatively loving their neighbor. And that really came about as I was pulling out of my driveway, Steve and I were one Sunday evening and Ashley Anthony and her family had come by and written scriptures and sweet uh encouraging words to us and drawn pictures and sidewalk chalk at the end of our driveway. And I thought, what a sweet and precious way to bless someone. Even as you're just walking around your neighborhood, your children can do that. You can bake something and you can drop it off with a sweet note to your neighbors. You can contact an older neighbor and ask if there's a way you can uh, run an errand for them or pick up something for them. Just make a phone call, check on someone, stay connected to people, ask the Lord to give you wisdom. Check out that Instagram account. And would you also tag Bellevue Women because we're really wanting to keep creative ideas and ways out there for us to love our neighbor, but we don't want it to stop at the end of the quarantine. We don't wanna just go back to normal without learning the lessons the Lord has granted us in this time when we've had a little more time to reflect and to pray and to spend time in his word. 
I do believe, I started to say I don't know about you, but I do believe I do (laughs) because you're watching today. You want the light of Christ to shine in your life. And I don't share these things to guilt you or shame you or make you feel inadequate or like you're not doing enough because it really isn't about doing. It goes back to loving the Lord. It goes back to being, to really being who it is he's called us to be, to practicing spiritual disciplines and letting Jesus Christ capture your heart so that his love flows out of you. It's an invitation. He is inviting us into the abundance that he purchased for us, that the enemy fights to keep us away from, fights to keep us from experiencing. He's inviting you. He wants you. He wants you to experience it. You've been talking about this quite a bit with our daughters, and Allie, our middle daughter, is a pastor's wife. They have recently moved to Camden, Arkansas. In fact, they got to their church home uh, just a few weeks before COVID-19 and the quarantines. They really even haven't had time to get to know this new church family, and yet they've worked on some ways to love their neighbor. I want you to hear her testimony. I've been so encouraged at our new church here in Arkansas. We've had a group of ladies who have taken the role of our church membership list, and they've gone through and figured out, okay, who is most vulnerable during COVID-19? Who would be um, most at risk for this, and who could really use our help? And so we've divided out the role, and they have been so good to call so many different people in our church and friends that they have, people who have said, hey, my neighbor lives alone and she really might need help right now. And we've, we've just seen an outpouring of love and service from our church in our community that has been beautiful to see. We've had people show elderly people how to do a grocery pickup. We've had others do actual grocery pickups for somebody else or get medicine or um, just help them, whatever it might need, whatever their needs might be. But this has been a time of unique service opportunities. And I think all of us could say, we see ways that we really could be serving others, even in the midst of this crisis that we're all going through. But that's been a beautiful way that I've personally seen um, my church family be loyal and be gracious and Christ-like during all of this. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have a church family that you're actively involved in, join a church. If you're not a member, if you are a member, be faithful, be loyal to your church body. Be somebody that um, knows other church members. You can. It's easy to slip in and maybe hear a sermon, sermon sing some songs, and slip back out and not really talk to people. Um, but that's not going to fulfill you as a believer. That's not going to help you grow godly friendships. I want to encourage you to really invest in your church family. Be a loyal, faithful church member. The Lord will use those people in your life to be your Christian family. Um, that's been such a blessing for me as a pastor's wife living away from family Our church family has been our family. They've been like grandkids to my kids, and my kids love being at church. They love the church body that we have. Um, That's one of the main things they miss throughout all of this. They really miss going to church. And for a bunch of pastor's kids, you can imagine that is a major part of our life. And so that not, not having that has been so strange, but I love that they feel the urgency to get back together and to not forsake the gathering together. So I just want to pause to say, If you are not an active member of a church, I think this is so crucial. This is vital um, for your growth and godliness and Christ-likeness. This is such a key part to being able to link arms with other brothers and sisters and to work together to accomplish God's kingdom purposes in your community, in your own life, and in your own um, neighborhood. And your church is such a great resource for learning more about Christ and for having other believers to encourage you on your walk with the Lord. 
So I would be loyal as a church, and there are ways that my kids and I have tried to serve our church body. I was a Sunday school teacher before at our previous church. I taught a Wednesday night kids class. There's all different ways you can be involved in serving. You can serve in the nursery. You can um, take meals to different people that have had surgeries or sickness, or maybe they've had a baby. I've been, a, been a, benefited by that in so many ways at our previous church. But there are so many opportunities of service just within your own local church body context. And if you are a loyal, faithful church member and friend, you are going to have so many ways that you can be loving others and sharing Christ's love and being a blessing to others. And I think every time we are pouring ourselves out for others, the Lord blesses you. He um, just meets you in so many neat ways and teaches you through every service opportunity. I know He has for me. And that's been a major part of my life that has been um, surprisingly just a blessing to me in ways that I didn't really see. But the more that I've been able to be used by God to serve others, the more the Lord has just blessed me and strengthened me and encouraged me in my own walk. So I want to encourage you to be a loyal church member, a loyal friend within your own church community context. What about you? Are you letting his light shine? Or is it being clouded, covered by fear and insecurity and doubt? This really is an invitation. It's an invitation that has been extended to you by Jesus Christ himself in his word. He promised us abundance. He promised us to meet every need we have, that we might be those who bless others. The kingdom life, the kingdom of heaven really is available to us now. We are to be living more in tune with the kingdom of God than with the kingdom of this world. But you know, to receive from the Lord, we can't be grasping the things we have here. We have to hold them like this because we're simply stewards. And we hold them open, willingly giving them away, but with hands open to receive from the Lord that we might give it away again. I want to encourage you, say yes to his invitation of abundance. Say yes to loving him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yes to loving your neighbor as you love yourself. He is faithful and true. He is completely trustworthy. He really is this good. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the power of your word. And I thank you for what you have been impressing upon my heart Father, just in recent weeks, the things you've been teaching me, oh Lord God, how you have been connecting the dots for me, how you've been revealing things in my own life and showing me there's so much more that I have yet to experience. And Lord, I want all of you, all of you. And I want to be used by you. Oh Father, would you please fill us with your spirit? And Lord, would you enable your light in us to shine so brightly that others will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Lord, that is our heart's desire, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.